Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of John, chapter 6. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We talked about two very important theological positions, and for those of you that were here, we talked about what two positions were those, Calvinism and Arminianism. We talked about eternal security based on the sovereignty of God, which is Calvinism. And we talked about conditional election based on God's foreknowledge, which is Arminianism. I told you in verse 37, go ahead and pop over there and look at it. I told you in verse 37 that we had both positions in one verse, remember? Well, get this, in verse 44, again, we have both positions in one verse. No man, are y'all listening? No man can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. In other words, write this down. In our coming, there's a drawing. In our coming, there's a drawing. Here in this verse, we have the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. For you to come to the bread of life table, you have to be drawn to the bread of life table. And when he draws you, you have to believe and you have to come. And both of these ideas are true. Same truth written in two different viewpoints. One's a divine viewpoint and the other's a human viewpoint. Divine sovereignty and human choice. And they don't contradict. Have you heard, just by show of hands, have you heard the words um, previent or previent, previent grace? Have you heard the words previent grace? Raise your hand. Okay, that's uh, about three of you. Okay, listen. Turn your brain on. I need you to think right here. The word previent comes from the word prevent in the English language. To prevent generally means to stop or to hinder. In the Bible, the word prevent means to anticipate, antecedent. Uh, your own reference, own time, Matthew seventeen twenty-five. When he had come into the house, Jesus prevented him. That word actually means Jesus anticipated. So previent or previent grace means Write it down. Before man can seek God, God sought man. Okay, now listen. You can either learn this in seminary, and it'll cost you $40,000, or you can learn it right here from me for free. Amen. And give the 40000 to the Nehemiah Project. <laughs> Say Amen. Some of y'all didn't say it. <laughs> Previent grace means, write it down, 
or previent grace means before man can seek God, God sought man. The old theologians, I have this for you on the screen, talked of previent grace. It says grace that lays hold of us before we know it and prepares us for the emergencies of the future. Each one of us can now perceive the things before our conversion had a meaning which did not occur to us at the time. Let me read that again. Previent grace, grace that lays hold of us before we know it and prepares us for the emergencies of the future. Each one of us can now perceive that things before our conversion had a meaning which did not occur to us at that time. Chapel Talks, page 148, Griffith and Rolling Press, Philadelphia, 1913 is the reference. So prevent grace means before man can seek God, God sought man. In the seeking, in seeking man, God elects and predestines and chooses and draws and enables them to make their own choice to come to him. And all of that is true. Listen, let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, I took a trip to Southern California, um, flying out to San Diego, went to California. And I took a flight from RDU to San Diego. That flight that I took was on the flight roster before I chose to get on it. The FAA had already determined the destination and the time of that flight. There were many people on board who made the choice to get on that flight. They chose to fly. They chose the dates. They chose what airline. While on the plane, they weren't chained up. They could walk around. They could go to the bathroom. They could read a book. They could talk to each other. They could eat the four peanuts that they were given. Because that's all you're giving on the flight nowadays. You get four, you get four peanuts, right? You got to ask for another bag. Usually I say, ma'am, would you mind? Can I have 15 bags of peanuts? <laughs> but they were making choices. Here's the point. They were making choices all the while the plane was flying to the predestined airport. Both are working together. They do not contradict. Now listen, this argument of Calvinism and Arminianism Honestly, let me just say this. I said it last week, and I think it's worthy to be restated. If we are going to be honest Bible students, preachers, listen. If we're going to be honest Bible students, if we're going to be honest preachers, if we're going to be true to the gospel, if we're going to be the kind of people that expound on the word of God and we allow the word of God to say what the word of God says without us coming with our own predispositioned ideas and what we think it means, if we're going to be true expository preachers, then there will be times when you read the Bible, are you listening? There will be times when you read the Bible that you will be a Calvinist. And there will be times when you read the Bible that you will be an Arminianist. There will be times when you read the Bible where it says that God chose men. And then you'll couple, couple, flip a couple pages over and it'll say, men choose God. 
Both work, I think, together. Both are true. Both ideas coexist. You know, I told you last week, I tell you today, Calvary Chapel, our position here is we consider ourselves Calminians. Calminians. That means we believe both are true. We believe God chooses and elects men to come to him, but we also believe that men must choose God. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he who opens the door, that's you, where you got to reach out and open the door and he will come in. Both are true. I think of Revelation chapter 22 and the spirit and the bride. Y'all come on and help me. And the spirit of the bride say what? Come and let him who has ears say what? Come and let him that is thirsty do what? Come and whoever will let them take of the water of life freely. I think of Joshua twenty four fifteen. Choose you this day whom you will. You choose whom you will serve. God chooses the elect and the elect choose God. And both are true. I like what D.L. Moody said. I said it last week. D.L. Moody said, Lord, save the elect and elect some more. Don't you like that? Lord, save the elect and elect some more. Then there are some people who say that that's not fair. They say it's not fair that God has chosen some. Listen, I say it's very fair uh, for a couple of reasons. Matter of fact, it's not only fair, it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. And the reason it's wonderful, because first of all, God doesn't have to choose anybody. God didn't have to call anybody. Say a better amen to that. God didn't have to call anybody, okay? And if God didn't call us, then we would all be separated from God forever. Did you get that? Uh huh. In other words, look, some of y'all didn't get it. Let me say it like this, all right? If God didn't call us, you would all be going to hell. Did you get it that time? Okay. So I think it's wonderful. I also think it's wonderful because I'm elected. I'm saved. Uh, anybody saved? Anybody elected? Anybody happy? I'm elected. I'm saved. I think it's wonderful because God saved me apart from anything I've done. We've talked about God's grace and God, God's grace being God's unmerited favor toward man, haven't we? And that's reasonably good and a correct definition, although the meaning, I think, is still a little fuller than that. God's grace is not only unmerited, it's unmeritable. Did you get me? God's grace is not only unmerited, meaning you don't deserve it, but it's unmeritable, meaning you can't do anything to deserve it. God loves you because he loves you. Why does God love me? Because he does. Well, why does he? Why? Does he love me? Because he does. I mean, really, why does God love me? Because he does. That's the only reason. God doesn't love you because you're cute. Amen. You're not that cute. Amen. Hallelujah. You're not that cute. You're not that lovely. You think you're all that. You're not. What'd you learn at church today, sweetie? I'm not all that. Good. You got it. 
God loves you because God loves you. God loves you because he chooses to love you. His grace is not only unmerited, it's unmeritable. You can't have anything to do with it. And God intentionally, listen, are you? God intentionally set it up that way because he doesn't want you to have anything to do with it. Because if you had anything to do with your salvation, you would boast about it. You would tell people how wonderful you are. You would tell people, well, God got a trophy when he got me. God is blessed to have me. I'm going to preach. Keep saying it. Keep saying it. Pray, pray for me. I'm, I'm lovely. God got a blessing when he got me. And God doesn't want you to be able to say that. God doesn't want you to be able to say you got, you're so lovely and you're a trophy in this curios and all this. And God wants you to say, you know what? I am nothing. He is everything. God saved me because he loved me. I'm waiting while you clap your hands. He saved me because he loved me, because he's God, because he chose to, because God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Come on, say amen. Clap your hands like you beat it. Will you do it? That's God. It's a meritable. We all deserve eternal punishment. God's grace is beyond comprehension. Whew. I'm out of breath. His grace is beyond comprehension. We don't merit anything. So instead of arguing and trying to figure it out, how about just be happy? How about just preach the gospel and leave the who's elect to God? If you've been here at Calvary Chapel, you know I love C.A. Spurgeon. I love Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Did you know that C.A. Spurgeon was a Calvinist? And he believed eternal security, election, and the foreknowledge of God. And C.A. Spurgeon was asked... If you are a Calvinist, then why preach the gospel? Because Calvinists believe only those who are predestined to be saved will be. Well, Spurgeon said, if I were going down to the lake where I like to fish, and I said to the boat rental person, are the fish biting? And he said, uh, just a little. Spurgeon said, I'd fish. Spurgeon went on to say, if I went down there and the guy said there are 5,000 fish that will be caught today, he said, I will fish. He said, that's why I preach, because I know men will be saved. Now, who are those men? I don't know. There's no stripe down the back of all of those that God has elected. If there were, then we would all be walking around lifting up each other's shirts. Are you elected? There's a yellow stripe down there. Are you elected? Okay, well, let me tell you about Jesus. But God didn't set it up that way. Because who's elected and who's not is none of your nanya. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pray for me. Nanya. None of your business. Who's elected and who is this? None of your business. What we are to do is preach the gospel, somebody say, amen, pastor. That's it. And leave everything to God. Listen, we got to move on. Look at verse 47. Jesus seems to raise the grumbling decibels. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. In verse 48, come on, read verse 48 with me again. I am the bread of life. So Jesus says, yep, 
I am come from God, and if you believe, you'll have life. And then he had something that raises the decibels of grumbling by talking about eating his flesh to the point they're arguing in verse 52. We're going to talk about that more in just a second. But for right now, Jesus said in verse 48, I am the bread of life. Jesus is simply saying the spiritual nutrition that you need is found in a living person, not a loaf of bread. I am the bread of life. This bread that Jesus talks about satisfies the hunger that is in the heart of man is placed there by God. Somebody once said there's a God-shaped hole in the heart of every man. Every man is looking for something beyond this life that will satisfy. It was King Solomon, the king of Israel. And at the end of his life, he wrote a whole book about contentment. Are y'all with me? He wrote a whole book about contentment and satisfaction. And at the end of his life, he concluded Vanity, vanity, all is vanity, or empty, empty, all is empty, or meaningless, meaningless, all is meaningless. Nothing on earth satisfies, and nothing on earth will satisfy except the bread of life. Am I right about it? Everything else is temporary. Everything else is Temporary. It satisfies for a minute. You get excited for a minute. I just got a new truck. I like my truck. I got a black truck. I love black trucks. I got two black trucks, actually. Now now I got two black trucks. I traded in my yellow Jeep for a black truck. And uh, I just love black trucks. I love black trucks. Nothing hotter on the road than a black truck. (laughs) Hallelujah, I'm getting excited. Hey. So I got me a black truck, I got another black truck. And it's not new, new, but it's new to me. Y'all get y'all with me? It's new to me, all right? But not new, new, but new to me. So I got another black truck. My wife knows I love black trucks. I just love them. I can have 20 of them. I just love them. And uh, my wife, no, my wife, she know I love my black truck. Don't, don't, don't get in the middle of me and my black truck. Matter of fact, she called my black truck my other black woman. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm not kidding you. She said, you know what? That's your other black woman. <laughs> I go, well, well, <laughs> you know when you go, well, <laughs> you ain't got no words, well, <laughs> I love her. I got my new truck and. I love my truck, and you know when you get a new truck, you know you know when you get a new car, you get a new car, you get a new, you know you, you just want to ride it, you just want to figure out place to go, you just gotta you know you're just thinking of places you can go. It's like you just gotta get in it, you just got to get in it. It's new, and it's exciting. It's you gotta go somewhere, anywhere. It's like I gotta go to uh, uh, the landfill. <laughs> Why do you have to go to the landfill? I don't know. I just feel called. <laughs> you just got to go somewhere. You got to get a new house. You know, you're all excited. You got a new house and woo, all the heaven. Oh, we got new rooms and oh, look at the washroom and it's all big and everything's nice and 
all the bathrooms and you go around the room, the room, room, the room, all every day. You go check every single room. You go look in every room every day. Every day, you go every room. That lasts about a year, maybe two if you get a good little, get a big house, maybe two. But after a while, it wears off, doesn't it? All that temporal stuff wears off. You get a new pair of shoes, you see another pair, a little nicer. You get a black truck, see another black truck. (laughs) And just buy that one too. (laughs) Amen. I'm preaching. Just, you know, it's a little bit nicer, a little bit better. Everything is, it's temple. Why? Because nothing satisfies. Listen, wives, your husband cannot satisfy you. Husbands, your wife cannot be your sole satisfaction. God does not want your spouse or anybody else in the house. You already know I was a rapper, did you? I'm finna break it down. I'm finna freestyle. <laughs> or anybody else in the house to be your soul satisfaction. God wants to be your soul satisfaction. And the problem, perhaps, in the marriage is you're looking for the other person to complete you. They can't complete you. That's why you get so many problems. That's why you get people that, like, uh, People that get married, they've been married eight times. Who does that? I mean, you get get married, get a divorce, get married, get divorced. What you looking for? And obviously, if you've been married eight times, divorced eight times, the problem is not with them. The problem is you. I'm trying to help somebody in here. Let me tell you something. No matter where you go, you're always there. Down, yes. No matter where you go, you're always there. Because you're looking for someone else to satisfy. That's my point. You get me? You're looking for someone else to satisfy you when only Jesus can satisfy you. When you get a hold, I'm waiting. When you get a hold of that, you'll be on the road to success. To understand that Jesus can satisfy you. He only wants to satisfy you, he and he alone. Well, notice in verse 52 through 59, if you're looking at verse 52, say amen. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves. They are arguing, literally, that word quarrel means they're like almost coming to blows. Among them saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna, and they are dead. He who eats this bread, I, I get the impression Jesus is going, He who eats this bread will live forever. 
these things in verse 59, he said in, in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Notice, give me your attention. Jesus says, I'm the bread that, and, and, that, that I, and I give my flesh. The bread is my flesh. In verse 53, verse 54, verse 56 is telling us that we are to eat his flesh and drink his blood and we will have eternal life. Now keep in mind, listen, these guys that he's talking to right here, they haven't read the chapter yet. Amen. So to them, what Jesus is saying sounds nasty. This is nasty. Look at verse 52. They're arguing. How can this man give us flesh to eat? Not only that, but to the Jew, listen, this is incredibly offensive language. This is why they're arguing almost to the point of blows, coming to blows, because this is incredibly offensive language because it sounds like cannibalism. It's offensive because the laws of Moses strictly prohibits eating flesh uh, with blood in it, let alone drinking blood itself. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch, in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.